Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Gardening. I'm Earl Coombs and this morning Kath Smythe has joined me once again. Good morning, Kath. Good morning. And we're going to talk about the birds and the bees today. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we have Megan Evans and she's from Alberta Native Bee Council. She's going to call in and we're going to chat about, they have a few initiatives going around town and different things going about bees and uh, and then also the ever popular Birdman Brad is calling in again. So uh, does he know you call him that? Oh yeah. Oh okay. He loves it. It's his favorite. <laughs> okay. He's got a hat made for him and everything. Oh, I Dwight haven't seen a, the hat. Dwight made him a birdhouse with his own name on it. Oh, is he selective about its tenancy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Magpies only. Yeah. No. Right. <laughs> We won't go into magpies today. Yeah, my kids always told them the garbage birds. That's whenever I whenever I think of magpies when we're when they were little, they they and Carolyn had taught them that they're the they're garbage birds. So, well, they are kind of interesting. When you have dogs that are a pain in the butt, yes, because they're outside and they just torment and try and eat the dog food all the time. My dog, yes. I had a wolf um, husky cross for a number of years. Actually, that was a. A housewarming gift from Birdman Brad. So uh, <laughs> don't do that to somebody. No, it was good, but it, it's a long haul, right? A, yeah. a pet is forever and a husky, it takes a special, per, like you can't just let them out. Like they... they well, if they don't like you, if they don't like what the housing is like, they leave home. They love to run. Yes. No matter what, they get excited and they, they, they run to run. Yes, run, they are. Run, run, run. So, they are. Uh, anyways, it was, it was good old Buka. He was around for 17 years. Wow. Crazy dog. But yes. anyways, lots of fun. Um, where was he going? Oh, yeah, magpies. magpies. <laughs> they, and they would steal his food. It's going to be one of those mornings. <laughs> steal his food over and over. And he would just, there would be a, it'd be a, a whole day game playing uh, Chase the Magpie. So, well, anyways. I always, when my brother-in-law is from England, and he always saluted the magpie. Have you ever heard mm -mm. that? No, it's Were a they thing. Drinking? Well, no, one for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy, oh, okay. five for silver, and so it goes. But the one for sorrow, the first one, you should always salute a magpie because it brings you luck. Oh, really? There you go. And you should always say good morning or good afternoon, Mr. Magpie. There you go. <laughs> See, Gord, there you go. He's out there looking at the window now. He's saluting all the magpies on yeah, 17th he's, Ave he's there. He's doing all the magpies. <laughs> it's when they get up at four in the morning that I object to Is that to how them. you salute, Gord? You don't shake your fist at them. That's not nice. <laughs> Anyways, we are going to talk some gardening today. Um, uh, lots and lots of great houseplants uh, in the garden center right now. I know we got a, we've had a few great shipments and... Uh, some different things coming in. So if you have any houseplant questions, you'd like to give us a shout, by all means, we'd love to answer that. Um, it's seed time. It's time to get all your seeds getting ready. Not really necessarily time to start them, but it's definitely time to get your supplies, get lined up. Um, the days are nicer, like after 6 o'clock. Yeah, There's it's still nice. sunlight. Yeah, 6 o'clock, <laughs> it's still light out, which is nice. It's and uh, went to the hockey game last night. It was not very good if you're a Flames fan. Oh. Uh, yeah, whatever, Gord. Yeah, he's a <laughs> he's an Oiler fan, so we don't like him so much. Anyways, that's Gord. Look at him, funny looking guy. <laughs> okay, going back to gardening, you guys. Going back to gardening. Have you had any queries about people using? And I know we talked about it last week. 
See, I'm trying to get the gardening back. All right. We're going to get rolling into it a bit. About potting soil and older potting soil. And when you open it and use it, it's producing fungus gnats. No, uh, but I I read that on some of those Facebook groups. And it's just if they're kept too wet, it doesn't produce fungus gnats. It's really how you water. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to bring up. It's more about how wet you're keeping the soil and whether you cleaned your saucers out properly before reusing the the pot and the saucer combination. And I get more questions on this. And, and I, when we did talk about it a bit, um, I think people overcomplicate plants too much. Like they do, we kill them with kindness most of the time. This I read on some of the on the group things where we have customers come in and 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 they, oh, I, I water it every Tuesday. Then I keep it evenly moist. You don't want to keep your plants no. moist. Like... You have to let them dry out a bit in between water. You don't have to let them bone dry so the soil's cracking and it's coming away from the pot. That's probably a little too dry. For some of your cactus and some things, that may be okay. But for the most part, just let them dry out evenly all the way down. Mm-hmm. Give them a good water all the way through. And in this time of year, on anything bigger than an 8 or 10-inch pot, it's every two weeks maybe. If, if, yeah, if and, that. And, and don't just rely on sticking your, the fingertip in. I keep a, an old plastic straw. Yep. It's a good method, and I just push it into the pot, and if it comes out... You need out, a good straw, though. There's not very many ones. good... No, there's not anymore, but I happen to have a stash. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of those things, but you've got to keep on top of how... Because don't forget, the water goes right down to the bottom of the pot, and the root systems are in the bottom of the pot, so... It, it says here, <laughs> how did the magpie get its name? Oh, I missed that John. one. I don't know. We'll have to find out. We'll have to find out. Exactly. And then yeah. uh, we have another one here. My my father used to say, "You're like a magpie if you're not <laughs> you're, if you're not eh, and you're squawking." squawking. <laughs> there you go. He's the one that they just sent us a picture as well of a tulip and mixed planting, and yes. it's all stretched and leggy. Yeah. What am I doing with this mess? I think the tulips, hyacinths, crocus, and violets. Yeah, it, it's a it's a bulb planter, and it, it is. It's just, it got lanky on you. Those, like, the bulbs are, like, the tulips, they're better in their own, like, in a small pot. Like, a, this is a fairly small pot. You also, um, you have hyacinths. And a primula. Yeah, I just think it maybe, it just, you could try and tie them up, but really they just got big flopped. Probably maybe could have used a bit more sunshine. But they just looked at they kind of just flopped. They flopped because they stretched trying to find light because they're sitting in the middle of the room. That could be why, yeah. And then they're sitting in a pot in a pot. So probably at some point or another there was water sitting in it. But the leggy tulips cut them off and cut off the tops of the little mini narcissus when they finished flowering and just prepare to put it out in the garden. And the primula, the flowering one, needs to go out in your garden. And it will be in the springtime, and it'll rebloom and in the shade. And oh, and I see crocus back there too. Yeah. All of these, all of these could just be put in the pot out in the garden in May, and they will die back as they naturally do, and they'll probably regrow. Yeah, but just even if you want to get, a, if you have a couple of garden stakes or something, you want to just tie them up. Yeah, we can still enjoy the hyacinths, the daffodils, tulips. Look at like they're almost done. Looks like the ones still standing, but you could just. Um, tie them up a bit and uh, try and enjoy what you can out of them until they're done. But yeah, it's just when they, 
Yeah, it, it, it is frustrating on those. It is, it it's, is. And it's too warm. They like it cool, like those bulbs like it cool. Yeah. Those are early spring bulbs, so it could be a little warm in your house, and they just, like Cass said, they sort of flopped well, over they're, on Well, they're in a tight, tight little pot, so they're trying to find room to grow, so they go up. Exactly. And out. <laughs> if, you, if you'd like to join us on the phone lines, we're wide open right now, 403-974-8255. Or 1-800-563-7770. And again, like I was saying, we have Megan Evans coming in. We're chatting with her at 9.30. And then Brad's going to call in. Birdman Brad is calling in at uh, 10.05. So we're going to talk about the the bees and the birds, the birds and the bees today. (laughs) Because they are very important in our gardening. Without them, it doesn't work. Um, They do all the outside pollinating. They look after pests. They do all kinds of great things in our garden. So we want to make sure we encourage. um, And they bring movement to your garden. And they bring interesting, you know, you'll walk by and you go, oh, what is that? And they have that color and that texture and they move around and they... They just bring that extra touch of life. Yeah, and it didn't take much to get some different birds coming into your yard, like just a little bit of different food, and uh, and you create quite a little uh, ecosystem in your and backyard. And a little bit of water. Yeah. A little bit of water. No, and uh, I guess bees, um, I guess they make some people very nervous, obviously, but we'll chat about with Megan about that kind of thing, about how they can be done in the city safely, and if they can be, and, or see what yeah. she recommends, because... They are, like some people are, are deathly allergic to bees and things like this. So we also want to make sure we're, we're conscious. And, but they're uh, not going to sting you unless you're irritating them. Unless you're... I don't, I know, I agree, but I also don't, I just remember <laughs> we had a manager, um, Kathy Steele, she now works with one of our suppliers. But I remember we had a, a whole nest came into the tree lot and there was like, like a, they created a whole net. Like they there was swarm. like yeah, there was five hundred of them, whatever or more. So I called the uh, far, uh, honey farm just down the road, and then they came in their suits. And I've been standing out there the whole time in my shorts and just watching the, the yeah. mother and, and daughter are they're smoking the bees and they're getting them into their into their thing, and uh, they were all suited up. And then all of a sudden, one of the bees. I'm standing there, and Kathy's walks across the parking lot, and I could watch it. It just flew right at her and went right for her forehead and, and stung oh, her right dear. in the forehead, right between the eyes. It was oh. like it was like a target. Like, he just flew, like, in that cartoon. Pretty crazy stuff. But he was making a beeline. Yeah, he was definitely beelining for her, but yeah. I don't know. It was uh, it was. It was it wasn't funny, but it was because it was just so surreal. I'm just I've been standing there the whole time, right twenty feet away, and around five hundred bees, nothing, and she's walking across the parking lot. This one bee went just totally after. It was uh, a little it, aggressive. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk a bit more about some gardening and uh, and get some of this plant stuff going. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening on seven seventy CHQR. Welcome back to Let's Talk Gardening, and Let's Talk Gardening is brought to you by Prune It Up, Calgary's trusted tree care service company for pruning or removal. We got you covered. Spruce it up, green it up, prune it up. Give them a call. And 
so Kath, what are you seeing out in the garden? Anything exciting yet or? I was investigating out in my raised vegetable garden again this week because I'm like all the other gardeners in the universe. I'm impatient. I'm sick of the snow and ice. So I was out investigating and you know what? Underneath that layer of ice on top of my garden, I have spinach. Really? And I can't figure out how to take a picture because I don't want to uncover it too much. Yeah, no, you don't want to uncover it yet. <laughs> yeah. No, so if anybody else has uh, done any spinach, send us some pictures. I always love the early, early spring um, pictures of spinach underneath the crusty ice. And yeah. uh, and we got a text from someone, you should listen to the Ian Tyson song, Magpie. Maybe Gord could find it. and. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite favorites. Oh. Uh, he kills me and look at his face. What? <laughs> Ryan's the music guy. <laughs> I keep everything working here. Come on. <laughs> nice. And uh, again, it is the family day weekend, so our theme of the day is family. So uh, enjoy the tunes um, brought to you by our, our fine guys, uh, Gordon <laughs> Bryan. Awesome. So how are your countertop experiments with garden things? I thought you said that Carolyn had thrown a bunch of stuff off the counter. <laughs> oh, actually... My- my plants are looking really good right now. Yeah. Um, actually, I took some pictures yesterday, and uh, uh, lipstick plant, it looks absolutely perfect. Uh, my lemon tree has two or three lemons, but I still can't believe how long they take to ripen. Like, Oh, I know. Like months. Like, it's been six months. Really? Honestly. And they're still rock hard. Well, yeah, well, you have to leave them till they're, and they're about three quarters yellow now. So they're oh, just, okay. they're finally yeah, turning yellow. Yeah, they're starting yellow. to, yeah. But I, I, I just honestly can't believe how long it takes. Like it's. And we wonder why we pay 99 cents each for a lemon. Yeah, I yeah. think it should be like eight bucks if you're, if you think how long it takes by the time they fly yeah. it up here from Florida. and Yeah. Like well, 99 cents is pretty cheap because man, if I had to grow them, I'd have to charge 500 <laughs> bucks a lemon. Like I got three. So I, I, well, I have I have on my counter <coughs> some geranium cuttings just to see how they were doing, to okay. see how it would go, and they've rooted already, and they're already almost the size of the plant I took the cutting off of. So I'm going okay. Now I have to find more room for things, and there's a crowd control issue at my house. Yeah, but it's it's good to do that even with your because if you try and keep the same geranium over and over, they do get leggy. So it's good yeah. to rejuvenate yeah. them. Start with new cuttings. Yeah, and um, cut them back. You get nice and healthy, um, new roots, new new plant going, and it's amazing how fast they grow. Like from that two or three inch cutting, if you're doing it right now, um, your six inch geranium is going to be perfect. Um, by the May long weekend, well, first week in June. These guys be- are already up, have already grown new leaves, and I put them into six-inch pots just to make sure they would be big enough. Yep. And I, I think they've grown a foot. <laughs> oh, no, no, by that... It, We've within, had good sun. Yeah, no, and within a year, um, it'll be perfect. So, And here we got a uh, something from Brian and, and Riva. Good morning to you both from Belly Acres. Enjoying your show as always. Reva would like to know if you need to fertilize our succulents. If so, which fertilizer and schedule? Thanks, Brian. <coughs> Merle, can you pass my number on to Brad? The ladies <laughs> in the store. Oh, yeah, Laura. yeah actually, they did. Um, they're just unpacking them right now. We went in there yesterday, Brian. So <coughs> they are. They should be hopefully done by Tuesday or Wednesday. I. Succulents, they're not a heavy feeder, no. but they, they it doesn't hurt to, I just use the all-purpose, like even this, the 20-20-20, 
like that that's just a good all purpose but they're like I said they're not a heavy feeder um so they don't need a a ton I don't start fertilizing them until probably the end of March and then I go half strength yeah. uh, you know the 2020 20 is great but the root system on succulents isn't as deep and no. as large so what I like to do is mix it half strength according to the instruction and I'll water it first and then I fertilize yeah, it. Yeah, you always got to water first whenever you fertilize. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes people make. They yeah. fertilize and then they lose half of their fertilizer. Well, <laughs> you better give the soil a good dampening, then fertilize, then you're not wasting all your fertilizer and it doesn't just run away. And yeah, you it doesn't to... just rot, wash out. I mean, we as human beings salivate when we're eating, so... We swallow our food better and take in the nutrition a lot better. So it's just one of those things. So water them first, then fertilize them. And I wouldn't do it right away. It's still too early for succulents. They're still trying to get over the long, dark winter. Yeah, I, I just started transplanting. I transplanted a few things. Right now is a good time because the days are starting to get longer. And I'm seeing lots of new growth. So I, I'm pretty fortunate. I have a fairly bright um, sort of south-facing, quite big windows um, so I get lots of sun, but I'm noticing lots of new growth on all the plants. My Easter cactus, I've, I was going to continue, is uh, blooming as well, or about to bloom. So it's a little bit early, but not far off. Uh, yeah. When is Easter this year? April or something? Or yeah, March? It's, I think it's, I think because of the leap year, isn't this an early one? But I yeah. haven't looked at the calendar. Yeah, I'll have, have no to idea. look and discuss it with myself. <laughs> one of those things. <laughs> Wait a minute. Lent has started, I think. So I think we're, it's early this year. Okay. I think. <laughs> don't don't take my word yeah, for it. <laughs> this isn't the show to get it when Easter is. So, um, And then here we go. We have another text. Merle, I have a Virginia creeper that gets eaten by leafhoppers. I have tried spraying cayenne pepper, but that didn't work. I live in the country, and I heard that hoppers may come from the canola fields. Um, leafhoppers come all the time. They love Virginia creepers. There's lots of less foliage. So the best thing to do is around the first when they when all the leaves are just finished opening up and you almost have to start on a weekly spray program with pure spray green and it's just once a week give them a good spray and and then you'll it'll be amazing and just every week you got to just do a cycle and and you don't have to do it all summer you have to do it to about mid July when they're thing. just coming your, from the egg stage yeah. into the active larva. Yeah, and yeah. once they get through that stage, you'll be fine. But really, if you have big Virginia creepers, that's just like a huge buffet for those leafhoppers, and they love it. But pure spray green works really well. It's a pharmaceutical-grade mineral oil. It's one of the best pesticides out there because it's, it's fairly safe. And uh, so obviously read the direction, but it's a pharmaceutical-grade mineral, and it works great as a fungicide as well. In the United States, the same product, it, it has a, it says right on the label, insecticide slash fungicide. But in Canada, our wonderful government wants another million dollars to put the word fungicide, but it still has the same attributes. It still works the same way, just that it's not registered as a fungicide, but it works phenomenal, like on your hedges, like nine barks. Um, alpine currants and that, that all get that powdery mildew, that pure spray green works phenomenal for that uh, And for sometimes that with your Virginia creeper, you have to break down and cut it right back. Yeah. Just no. because then the eggs aren't there and take it away. and Yeah, every five, ten years or yeah, anything. Yeah, just depending take her on... down and clean out the dead wood and clean out around the bottom and then the eggs aren't there perpetuating. Absolutely. All right, we got to take a break. 
You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening on 770-CHQR. I was waiting for some words. <laughs> <laughs> There's the Magpie by Ian Tyson. It's All a right. good song. So, there, there he is. You're an early riser, Magpie. That's a pretty good song. You're it's a, a great song. All right, we don't hate them as much anymore. <laughs> Thanks, Ian Tyson. We all like those magpies now. But right now, <laughs> we're, we're going to find out if bees and magpies get along. We're going to go to Megan Evans, and she is with the Alberta Native Bee Council. Sounds very official, Megan. <laughs> good morning. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. So you are with, the, and I'll say it one more time, the Alberta Native Bee Council. So okay. thank you for joining us on this fine Sunday morning. You bet. All right. So uh, maybe give us a little uh, preamble of what uh, what goes on at the at the Bee Council. You bet. So we are a science-based conservation organization. And what really uh, makes us unique is that we focus only on native bees. Um, And so to give you a a bit of an understanding of what that means is that a lot of folks think about honeybees, um, but we have no honeybees native to North America. So honeybeekeeping is uh, an agricultural uh, activity, um, whereas when we focus on our native bees, and in Alberta, we have 321 native bee species on record. Wow. Um, and, but no, but honeybees, so with, so with all our native bees, we would have no honey? Well, yeah, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I know. So we can't <laughs> honey from our native bees. Um, and so we do need those honeybees for honey production and also to help us pollinate our crops. Okay. So that's a pretty big business, renting those hives to move them around to make sure our crops are pollinated. Okay. Yeah. So, But are, do the native bees, they will also help with all of that as well, I'm assuming? Absolutely. So again, we're not getting honey from our native bees, but um, but they absolutely are playing an important role in agricultural <clears throat> uh, pollination. Uh, but they also play a really important role in pollinating our native plants in our natural areas. Um, and those native plants are really important because they provide habitat and food for wildlife. So, so native bees are really important. And they're also really diverse. There's over 300 species, right? So uh, they have different niches. And uh, some, of them, some, some of those bee species, in fact, uh, will only forage on a specific species of flower or a specific genera. Um, so uh, whereas most of them are generalists and will forage on any type of flowers that are going to produce uh, pollen and nectar. But uh, there's a lot of diversity and a lot of different species, yeah. Okay. So, Go ahead, Kath. So bumblebees, essentially. Is that, mm-hmm. is that the common name for them, essentially, even though there's all these species? Well, yeah, great question. So we've got lots of different kinds. So bumblebees are one kind of our of our native bees, and so bumblebees, uh, b- the bumblebee genus is called Bombus. That's and there it. Yes. Twenty eight <laughs> species of bumblebees in Alberta. So twenty eight. Twenty eight. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but then we just said there's over three hundred. So there's tons of different kinds of bees that we're less familiar with. Um, than uh, than bumblebees. So we, we're familiar with bumblebees because they're big and they're they're loud and they're obvious, right? We see them and we hear them. 
And a lot of these other bees are, are small and they're, they're not as loud. Uh, some of them are only active for three or four weeks in the, in the year. Um, and uh, they're much less obvious than bumblebees. And, and often people would probably dismiss them as a fly or some other bug as well. So, yeah. So what do what do they produce? Like, do they have the same similar, like a beehive or, or I guess not because if they're not producing honey. So what do, kind of, like, what do they, where do they live or, or what so can I'll we ad- do? Yeah. So I'll address that question by going about, a little bit further. So okay. um, honeybees, which are not native to North America, uh, evolved in areas that are, have a, a, a warmer winters. So honeybee colonies have multi-year life cycles. So they overwinter, the bees overwinter. That's why beekeepers have to winterize their colonies, right? Yep, so that yep. they, they insulate them so the bees stay warm. Well, our native bees learn to live here with our harsh winters by having annual life cycles. That's why they don't stockpile honey in the same way. Okay, um, so they die like, off every year. Exactly, or exactly. So, um, so bumblebees do live in colonies. So those colonies are about 100 bees or so, so substantially smaller than, say, a, a honeybee colony. Yeah. Um, and so they'll nest, bumblebees will typically nest under tussocks of grass, in wood cavities, under piles of down debris, and they really like old mouse and rodent holes and those sorts of things. Yep. Um, uh, so th- th- that's where your bumblebees are going to nest. Uh, and bumblebees are typically active all throughout the season. Then we have lots of, uh, tons of other species that we ca- kind of consider them all to be solitary bees. So they don't live in a nest. <sighs> They're, they're solitary. Uh, when they emerge, they find a mate and they, they mate, and then they go to establish their own nest. And most of those bees actually nest in the ground. So they'll excavate little tunnels in the ground and they'll create a little nest cell, they'll lay an egg, and then they'll leave behind a little ball uh, of pollen and nectar, which the larvae will consume uh, as, as it develops. And typically that bee, the larvae and the, the, the egg and then the larvae and the pupae will emerge as an adult typically in the following year. So they'll, um, they'll sit in the ground, do all their thing, yeah. um, di- whatever, if you call the digestive period or, or, and then all of a sudden they, they, they wake up and are born next spring. Typically. Yeah. Oh, yeah cool. Absolutely. So most of our native bees are ground nesters. So they need access to bare areas with bare soil that isn't super compacted. And typically they want sandy soils in order to excavate, to build those little, those nests. Um, and then we have another group of bees that we call cavity nesters. And those are the bees uh, that you see the bee hotels for. Those are the ones with the tubes, right? So the mason bee. Yeah, mason bees are, are one of those, exactly. So there's mason bees, leafcutter bees, and there's a, a, a number of others. Um, I will say, so in the wild, those bees are going to nest in hollow stems of plants that are naturally occurring. Ah. They'll also nest in dead and decaying wood. Sometimes they can utilize old beetle galleries as well to, to create their nests. Um, and what they do is different bees use different materials, but inside those tubes, they create a little nest cell. So the mason bees use mud or clay uh, to create a little cell. And inside that cell, they'll lay an egg and leave that little ball of pollen and nectar. And, and then that bee will emerge in the next year, right? Just like right. the ground nesters. So they're so native we, bee as well? Na- uh, the, yeah. the- Interesting question. So we do have a number of native mason bees. Uh, you can purchase bee cocoons. Yes. and mason. <laughs> the species you can get. Um, it is a native species that we have here, but typically what you're purchasing is the Western subspecies. And in Alberta, um, uh, the, so, so the difference, uh, the cutoff point for the Eastern and the Western subspecies is the Rocky Mountains. So if you're, if you're purchasing those cocoons and you're purchasing the Western subspecies, then you might be bringing in bees that, are the, that will mate 
with the same species here, but that are maladapted for our environment. So we don't really recommend purchasing those cocoons, uh, not for backyard folks, uh, for, not for people that are interested in helping the bees, because it's probably going to be counterproductive towards so, that. So our native species are more are valuable from the standpoint of pollination and for, um, I'm trying to think of the correct word, but so they're valuable to us. Yes. Yep, definitely. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what are, I guess, and so are you guys, do you have some programs going on or, or like you said, I'm just reading through your pamphlet says, how can I help like build a bumblebee house or a cer- certain amount of flowers or certain types of flowers? Yeah. So there's lots of things that folks can do. And we always say that the single most uh, beneficial thing that we can do to help bees is to plant flowers. Um, and, and so native plants are typically uh, the best. Um, even though bees will forage on all kinds of non-native plants. But again, we have to consider some of those bees that are super specialists and that are only going to forage on one kind of species. Yep. So it's important that we incorporate the native diversity that those bees evolved with. So you want lots of different kinds of plants, ideally focusing on native plants. You need to make sure that they are blooming all season long because, again, bumblebees are active all season long. These other solitary bees are only active sometimes for three, four, five weeks in the a, summer. Do you have a list of so your top five bumblebees flowers um there's there's a lot of different flowers okay. on, on our brochures we just go into um a, a, a broad scale but like lupins asters uh onions vetches uh bee balm uh okay. arnicas there's a lot you really um most flowers i i say that with hesitation but most flowers are yeah great no i totally um actually we'll we're, i'm going to definitely get in touch with you um, in regards to this with, with down at Spruce It Up, where we can maybe do some joint effort, some joint information yeah. stuff for, for all our customers when they're coming in, because we get asked a lot about bees, and I think everybody's interest is in bees to try and see them, and we all are starting to understand how important they are to the ecosystem and to our daily, this living property and all our food. And, and our food is really important. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I would definitely love to uh, to to, to dive in deeper with this, but um, so uh, do you recommend people set up beehives or bee things in the city as well? Well, so we so again, our focus is only on the native bees, and yeah. so there is research that uh, is mounting that suggests that honeybees can actually negative negatively impact our wild bees. So we know that they can spread diseases. And there's more and more research suggesting that they can will also compete with native bees for food. So again, most of our native bees are solitary. Bumblebees are a nest of 100 or so. If you plunk down even a small backyard hive in your backyard, uh, there's 40,000 honeybees in there. Yeah. So it would be really hard for you in your urban lot to produce enough food, i.e. flowers, in, on your, in your space to feed your bees. So, so that, um, that, that is... Uh, not necessarily going to be a good thing for the native bees that are there. So what we tell people is it really depends on your objectives. If your objectives are to make honey, then then honeybees are the way to go. But if your objectives are to focus on biodiversity, conservation, and you want to learn about native bees, then then we would recommend against uh, getting backyard honeybees. And, and, and I think that's very important because I honestly, like, I, I assumed that all bees produce honey. Like, you know, you just assume <laughs> that, right? It goes goes hand in hand. You think, hey, bees, honey, blah, blah, blah. But it's very interesting that none of the native bees in in North or in Canada, is that North America or is that can, just Canada? I'd probably say 
stick with Canada, North, yeah. But okay. bumblebees do produce honey, and just in such small amounts that we can't harvest it. Yeah, it's just, just a nectar yeah. for their own doing, and for for the next generation to survive and to and, have that. And when they nest in tree cavities, etc., that's why you see these pictures of the be- the bears, etc., that go after it, taking the side of a tree off to get at it, right? Well, yeah, bears will be very interested in native and bumblebee colonies, but they're also very interested in honeybee nests as well. Yes, so, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they, they like all of them. Hey, Megan, are you okay to take a question? We have a caller. Lucille has a bee question. Sure, yeah. All right, I'm just going to pull her up on the line. And Good morning, Lucille. Oh, hi, good morning, you guys. Well, do you have a question? Well, yeah, kind of related to bees, but more so um, I'm just wondering if I, you know, build something to track the bees, if I'm also going to track wasps because I'm deathly allergic to wasps. So that's my concern when I, you know, um, put flowers and whatnot that attract bees. Do wasps like the same things or do do, do you know? <laughs> Megan, do you have an answer for us on that one? You bet. That's a great question. So bees and wasps are closely related. They're in the same order. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, one of the main differences between bees and wasps is that bees are, are nectivores. So throughout their all of their, their life cycles, they only eat pollen and nectar from flowers. Now wasps, on the other hand, adult wasps will drink nectar from flowers. So yes, you will see adult wasps visiting flowers. But they're not actively collecting pollen in the same way because the, a large part of the pollen that is brought back to feed developing bees whereas wasps uh, will go after other insects to bring back to feed the developing wasps. So the, the developing wasps will eat other protein sources, uh, which in the form of insects. And it didn't articulate that well, but essentially the wasps will visit flowers, but they don't spend as much time on flowers because that's not what they feed their, their offspring. Mm-hmm. So they're more of a carnivore. They're, they're a meat eater, the wasp, and the bees are going after the nectar, and they're more of a vegetarian type thing. Exactly. And what I will say is that wasps are everywhere. They're, you know, they're naturally occurring. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend avoiding planting flowers for bees uh, if you're because of a concern for wasps, because Mm -hmm. they're probably in your yard anyway, to some extent. Um, (laughs) And and, and Megan, if you use, though, you know, those wasps trap with the wasp nectar that attracts the wasp, is that? Have you ever found that to be harmful to bees as well? Because when I've set them out a couple times on the patio, and I, I I'm assuming it's just catching wasps. Like sometimes you'll get thirty wasps in there. Um, just wondering, Megan, if if you what you get, what your what your studies on that have you done any? Goodness, you know, I'm not sure, and I've never used those. I can um, answer that, I, Earl. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, honestly, and that was my next question because no, I don't know about those wasp nests. Per se, but certainly, you know, when you used to turn a, a bottle upside down and put a little bit of coke in them and tra- to attract the, yeah. the wasps, and I know that I did that for the wasps, and unfortunately, I did have some bees in there, so I stopped oh. doing that. Ooh. Yeah. One one thing you could look at doing is those wasps are territorial, so they don't want to nest beside another wasp nest. So I know some of these things are pretty tacky, but you can get those decoy wasp nests. Or even a paper bag. Yeah, we and sell those, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I guess. I've had a lot of success with those decoy nests. I don't have them building their usual nest in the peak of my house anymore. Um, when I, whenever I do it, I think they think they're coming home. I seem to get more, but I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> the trick is to get them out early, I think, because oh, okay. if you have yeah. a wasp that's already started, they will continue. Yes. But it will deter uh, a wasp from potentially starting one beside it, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks, Lucille. Okay. Yeah, thank you. 
And uh, I guess I'm just on um, on wasps and bees when we're trying to decipher the difference. So what what are people? What what are some of the main characteristics so we know the difference between a wasp and a bee? That's a, a much more difficult question to answer than you might expect. So, uh, <laughs> most people would always assume you first have a glance at them, you would think that they're wasps. So a lot of our bees are relatively hairless. They're they're little. They they're kind of narrow. Okay. Um, they, they come in all kinds of colors. They're black and they're green and they're red and blue. So uh, there's a lot going on there. But hairless, um, like they don't have the same fuzz a bee would have. They don't have well, wasps. Well, some of our native bees don't have a ton, are relatively hairless as well. Okay. One of the good characteristics um, of wasps is that many of our wasps have a very, very narrow abdomen. Like the tip where the thorax, yeah. second, the thorax meets the abdomen is very narrow. But to be completely honest with you, the, the, the defining characteristics is looking for star shaped hairs that bees have that you can only do with a microscope. And even then, <laughs> it's very challenging. So you really need to know you're looking at and it's it's a much harder question than than you might think yeah no no I, yeah there's not just some decisive thing that you that you mm-hmm. see a star on their back or something or no. like they say a poisonous steak is, has slits or something and what and the non-poisonous doesn't or something like that or the opposite don't don't take me on that if you see a snake I don't know which one is which but uh, you're supposed to look at their eyes so so your your bee boxes are you doing any um any uh, classes for that, or are you doing workshops, or are you just going to have people send talk to, uh, send you an email about getting some? So, great question. So, we have a, a citizen science bumblebee box monitoring program, yes. and there's a couple. There's many different ways people can participate. So, we have the plans for building these boxes on our website. You can download those plans, and you can build your own bumblebee box. Um, or you can come out to one of the workshops. We don't have the dates posted on our Facebook page yet. I noticed, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, we're a little bit behind. But we do have some workshops coming up in Hannah, Lacombe, Settler, and Airdrie. Um, and uh, so you can come out to one of those events and build your bumblebee box and take it home. Uh, the idea is then you put the bumblebee box out. It's like a birdhouse. The bees may come, they may not. Uh, but then you report back in the fall on whether or not you had any bees, and that then we take that information and we can pilot and it helps us understand a little bit more about awesome. uh, bumblebees and how they nest. Exactly. And so it's great because you're also providing habitat for those bees and they're really easy to maintain. So um, it's a little bit different than those tubes, like those bee hotels, which can be a little bit more complicated uh, for maintenance and cleaning. I know uh, I have one. <laughs> yeah. Also a lot more complicated than you think, right? Because well. you get different species of bees in there. Um, there was a research paper that came out a couple of years ago that suggested that wasps use those hotels more frequently than bees and that non-native bees use them more frequently than native bees. So so not maybe not a, a bee hotel, but um, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on with regard to, to those as okay, well. And I'm just going to give you, the website is www.albertanativebeecouncil.ca and uh, I will definitely be in touch. Um, if I might just put you on hold and get uh, Gord to get your contact info yeah. and uh, and then we can see what we can uh, beat up down at spruce it up with you all yeah, right that's really good and I do want to point out we are a completely volunteer run organization awesome. so yeah and so our, our yeah so we're, we're working on everything is a work in progress right now but yeah all right all right well, I gotta go I'm just gonna put you on hold Megan and thank you so much and uh, and look forward to chatting again great thank take you take care bye-bye all right we gotta take a break we are overdue on 770 CHQR
Welcome back to Let's Talk Gardening. Emerald Coombs, and we're going to go right to the phone lines, and we're going to chat with Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. It's a How, beautiful day out there. Isn't it gorgeous? Yes, it is. How can we help you? Okay. Can I... I'm taking a bunch of cuttings. Now, can I mix, you know, those cocoa bricks that yep. you dissolve? Can I mix that with my soil? Um, if you just have right, straight potting soil... Yeah. Um, you, you probably don't need to. I would just stick with the straight potting soil unless okay. you need, unless you don't have enough or something. But for the most part, I would just stick with the straight potting soil. But then definitely if you want to use the cocoa and mix that in with the soil once you transplant them into bigger pots. Okay. Another product is the Hemp Sense is another great one that works very similar to the, to the cocoa bricks as well. So can I use the straight cocoa bricks, um... To plant seeds, to start seeds. I, I find it this a little too coarse. Yeah. Like it's just a little bit. It's not. If you could get some of the stuff that's really ground, and I, I'm just trying to remember if I've opened a bag of the, of the. We have the cocoa core. It's the already core. been ground up, but yeah. I, I would still think it's a. It's still a little bit. It, it would work. Like it, if you, if that's all you had, and and. I'm sure you could get it to work just fine. Just rub it in your hand, rub your hands in there, just trying to break it down a bit. Yeah. But sometimes it's a little bit coarse. Because I thought the the, the cocoa bricks um, was made of the same stuff as those little pellets. You know, it, it, some of them are, some are peat, some are cocoa, absolutely, some are exactly the same. But those have been ground up very fine. In, the, okay. in those Jiffy 7s. Yeah. But, yeah, if you grind it up or and just make sure it's not... Some of the cocoa brick is quite coarse and sp- depends how it breaks up. So yeah. that's all I'm saying. Um, but I, if it breaks up and it's it's quite fine, it'll work great as a seed germination bed. Okay. Oh, um, thank you. Th- uh, there's just not a lot of nutrients in there. Yeah. yeah. So, I know. And that's why it, with the hemp sense... Um, there is actually some nitrogen and there's some uh, trace elements in the hemp um, oh, product okay. as well. So if someone's looking for something a little different. And I've given okay. some to uh, to Dwight, uh, one of our callers, and he was going to try it and, and see how it would work with uh, with some plants too. So Because I've used it as dog spot. I've used it on a few other things. I, I like it better or... Um, I'm hoping that it works just as good as the cocoa core. Again, it's a Canadian product, and it's a byproduct that we can grow lots of hemp. So I think it could be a really good viable product here rather than ripping up the peat bogs up in northern Alberta or all over the place, right? Right. Well, is it a good idea, though, to mix the cocoa in with my um, compost and with my soil in the garden? Yeah. Yes. Oh, good. Yeah, it's really good. It it holds it, moisture, yeah. and it helps to, to get the nutrients into the soil, so okay. it is a good product. Oh, yeah. that's great. And I it, have lots of it. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> no, that's great, and it, it takes it lasts about three times longer than regular peat moss. It doesn't break down as fast, so it, it's great. Yeah, I, I try not to use peat moss. Yeah, good. Awesome. Okay, thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Barbara. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening on 770 CHQR. Welcome back to Let's Talk Gardening. I'm Earl Coombs, and I'm here with Cass Smythe from the Calgary Hort Society. And I got a text here. We have had good success. I'm just going to follow up on the wasps. Um, Deterring wasps from our picnic tables by spreading cloves around the food plates. This worked really well, even with large wasps 
nest in a nearby evergreen tree. The wasps swing by for a look and quickly leave. We haven't tried clove oil as a deterrent on our bodies, but it should work too for highly allergenic people. So just uh, sprinkle some cloves around and uh, and see that. My mom used to give that to me for a um, toothache. Yes. Yeah, yes. I used to put yeah. a, a thing of clove on. Uh, I just had a flashback of a toothache <laughs> and sticking a clove of... A little clove in my in my the clove oil actually a little dab on your wrists, it does help to deter. Oh really? Yeah. Huh. There you go. All right. Well, actually, I'm just going to take Mary from High River real quick, and then we're going to go to Birdman Brad. Um, Mary has a, a comment on B, so let's just finish up with her, and then we will see what's going on. Good morning, Mary. <laughs> morning you two were the bee's knees there you go eh? <laughs> and my mom used to put oil of cinnamon in my toothaches okay yeah i had lots of them <laughs> anyway uh and also i just want to tell you people be careful if you're out in the country and there's holes <laughs> and you know that the the gopher makes and that the the wasps are in there, and if you disturb it, you know, with a stick or something, boy, they'll get you. Oh, I got yeah. I was up yeah. at boy, uh, really up at a ranch, and I got stung like fifteen times in the oh, back of my I leg. When, yeah, yeah, we were clearing this uh, the walk thing, and man, yeah. oh man, it was crazy. Just oh, I know, and and you know, these fencers guys, they take bombs with them. To kill the wasps, because, boy, they'll, they'll attack you. And the Indians used to say, if the bees nest in the trees, we'll have an open winter. But if they nest in the ground, we're going to have a tough one. Oh. So what did they That's do last year? That's a little year? bit of folklore. Okay, what and did they do? What Where did, did they... they do this year? Well, they... <laughs> They did a little of both, but, but I haven't been out in the country because I really don't like wasps. Mary, <laughs> are, Mary, are you starting to get political? That sounds like a political answer. You're oh, from both sides I'm of your fence. You, uh, just be true to home. <laughs> <laughs> the guy I let Frank and Richie laughed at me. I told him that he he's building a, a mustache and he, I hope or a beard and I hope it doesn't get white because oh. uh, he's no Santa Claus. No, but he, he sure likes to act no, like it everywhere else. Home. Yeah, no, but he's too busy giving away all our money. He's he's got lots of stuff. He has oh, two planes. Well, you know, uh, it grows on full trees. Of money. Didn't you know that? Yeah. <laughs> Go to Merle. Well, you know what? It. I was I was kind of laughing, and this is all about one little political thing. How they have trouble finding a couple planes to go to China to get their, all our Canadian citizens back. And here he yeah, flies around. flying him all over. With two of them. Timbuktu. So they could use his planes. He has them yeah, just at his I, beck yeah, and call. Right. So. Yeah, no, I just fly by my own uh, steam <laughs> down to the garden. <laughs> all right, Barry. Uh, my blood pressure get pretty high. We're not going to talk politics. No. no. We're going to build It's Sunday. Flowers. It's family yes. day weekend. So. Yeah. yeah. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye, Mary. Bye. Hey, Gord, should we take a quick break and then go to Brad? It's 10-10. Are you okay with that, or should I? Should we take a quick break? Sure, why not? All right, we're going to do that. Then when we return, 
Birdman Brad is up. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening on 770 CHQR. Let's Talk Gardening is brought to you by Prune It Up, Calgary's premier tree care service company. For pruning and removal, we got you covered. Spruce it up, green it up, prune it up. (laughs) And hopefully we'll be greening it up soon. But right now we're going to talk some birds with Birdman Brad. Good morning, Brad. Morning, Merle. How are you? Good, good. We got to get you some little um, tweeting sounds behind you when you come in. Gord, can we get that? (laughs) (laughs) Tweety birds. Uh, So um, it still is uh, with all the snow cover and and things like this, it it is a little more difficult for birds to find and forage for for food and, and things like that. So... Um, what are we recommending we, we should be doing right now with our birds, Brad? Um, Phil, it's amazing how the birds will forage. Like you were talking about magpies earlier. If you ever watch them in like a deep snow, they, they will get right down to the ground and get underneath it. But um, for all of our little songbirds and whatnot, of course, like we've said before, is the feeders and feeding the good foods like the sunflower kernel. It's a high oil content and helps keep the birds warm and, uh, it works with their system, so. And I think once people try a good quality food instead of the big cheap bag um, that you find with all, and it ends up three quarters of it's all over the ground, anyways. Once people try a good quality food, you see the amount of birds you get, and you, and the zero waste. Um, I think it probably ends up working out less expensive and and, and a lot more, uh, a lot better results. Uh, absolutely, yeah. It, I mean, it, everyone looks at that price when they first buy it, and they're like, holy smokes. But exactly, you have no waste at all. Any that does fall to the ground, because some birds, most birds, uh, whether it's red poles or nuthatches or chickadees or sparrows, they eat in a pecking order. So some birds aren't allowed to be on the feeder. Um, so any of the seed that falls to the ground gets cleaned up by all those birds. So you never have any mess. Where, like you said earlier, the cheap foods, not only do you have a mess, uh, they can either start growing and creating that havoc, or um, they get wet and they dry, they get wet, what they turn into is mold. And then what you can do is that's absolutely brutal for the birds. So they can get sick, and if they get sick from that, the outlook isn't good. So if you do feed the cheaper seed, make sure you're out there regularly cleaning it up. And sometimes the extra cost is worth it so you're not out there cleaning it up yeah no and you're getting and you're feeding the birds and what they need at this time is a good oily like the sunflower seed um things gets the oil content up in their feathers and uh helps them survive our our cool winters yeah for sure and we also got a new one and we used to have a, a nutty buffet mix and it was kind of like <laughs> not a bad mix peanuts and almonds and whatnot which is still good for the oil content but we have a new one in called uh it's from Chinridge, and it's a local out of Tabor, and it's called Tree Nuts, and it's an absolutely phenomenal mix, like uh, cashews, walnuts, all that. Like it's it's high end seed. You can it looks like you could almost eat it, put it on the table. Yeah, I know. It. There's some of them that you say if you want to throw it on there like for for People your Christmas. Know. Absolutely, yeah. Just <laughs> and it's a little more expensive, but again, it's it's a high quality seed, and it attracts. Similar to the sunflower kernel, all your chickadees, your nuthatches, your woodpeckers, your jays, um, uh, even uh, nutcra- or sorry, war- warblers like it, actually, and warblers eat a lot of uh, insects and whatnot, but they still like this mix. Flickers like it. 
Um, but again, a little more, little more money, but again, absolutely no mess, and it's a high-quality seed. Okay, and what about, I know we've talked about water, and I know we've had a, we've had a hard time finding uh, some good bird bass, bird bass that are heated bird bass. Um, so what, uh, definitely it's advisable to try and get water out, and I know there's some electric dog bowls you can use. There's lots of things you can find at the pet store to, for that um, to help give the, the birds the water that they need in the wintertime. Yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, the birds uh, need the water in order for them if you have pets. Same idea. Uh, the snow, they will go down and eat snow. Um, that helps, but water is very, very important. Um, and the heated dog dishes work well um, as long as, you know, you're regularly changing them and whatnot. And Not too um, deep, right? Not too deep. Try Don't you add to... rocks in there? Like, can't yeah. you put big pieces of rock in there so yes. that they can just drink? Because they don't want to submerge themselves. They just want to drink from the, the water dish. Right. They do for sure, but leave some spots maybe an inch deep just because they still they still have bath. It could be minus 10. Oh, they will okay. still clean themselves. Um, there's that theory out there, oh, my God, the bird hit the bird bath and went to fly and froze and fell to the ground. That's no, I've separate. never seen that happen, but I had bought a dog dish, a heated dog dish, and it's made a yep. huge difference. Huge. Um, and the other thing, I was at the zoo on Friday with my daughter, and... We went in there. They got the Canadian wild area. You go through this little area where they have it all fenced off and a, and a big net on the top, and there's a bunch of owls and hawks in there. And they had the heated bird bath, bird baths all over the place. And it, it like it not bird bath, sorry, the heated dog dishes. Yes, that's so, where I got the idea. I thought it was a great yeah. one. Yeah, no, it is. It is a good one. Again, it's just making sure. Um, you stay on keeping it clean, changing it out. No different than you would do for your dog. Same yeah, idea. just keep it from getting fungus in it or yes. anything like that, especially yeah. when we warm and defrost. But, Brad, what do you think of suet feeders, suet type? Suet, suet is great. Again, um, the stuff the seed is mixed in is like uh, basically a large mix. And, again, high high oil content. Um, it's not like we'd want to eat that every night for no, dinner. No, no. But... Uh, the birds absolutely love it, and it's it's really good for them. And most suets now, not all, but most suets <clears throat> can be out in plus 20 or minus 20. Of course, when it's cold, that everyone thinks, okay, put suet out. But you can still feed suet in the summer. A lot of them are anti-melt now. So ah, it, it, okay. yeah, it's, re- it's really good to use that too. And again, they last a fair bit because it takes them a bit to get rid of all the, the lard and whatnot, fat content, to get to the different seeds, if it's a berry mix, if it's a peanut mix, or an insect mix. I, it takes I, them a while, so it lasts a bit. So it isn't a not-melting suet, because I was yeah. reading about it, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, no, there are some. There are still some that, you know, you get minus, or sorry, plus 20 or 25, it'll start to really, really get soft, so you have to make sure you look at the packaging. Um, plus 30, I don't know. I don't know how many are going to make it through that weather. But no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. But when it's that warm, we're not needing that type no. of food and the regular seed is is fine. The suet's nice because it's, it's less, I guess, less messy and it does give them that oil content that the birds are. Well, I noticed my flick, <laughs> my flicker really likes it. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and we were talking about bees earlier and uh, and just how important they are. But also, like, birds play a big part in the garden as well, like having some bird houses in there. Because the amount of bugs and things that they'll eat, it's, it's amazing how they uh, really help keep it clean and tidy and, uh, and look after some of those pests. Yeah, totally. And you know what? Again, back to magpies for a quick sec. You'll see them on the ground foraging, uh, whether, like, say, it could be July or January. 
But in the summer, they the amount of insects they eat off the ground is crazy, like ants and stuff like that. And they, slugs. They really like slugs. slugs. And yeah. you know what? Believe it or not, they'll even eat mice. Um, Ooh. Yeah, they'll, they'll catch a live mouse, no problem. And then they just kind of hammer it a little bit until <laughs> it's gone, and then they chow down. But they, uh, it's in the insects is unreal, like going through your yard. Um, and another one that we've had an influx of this winter, and I don't know why. I'm trying to find out. Is house finches? They they almost look like a purple finch, but they're they're called a house finch. They got they're the red a house belly finch. Oh, I wondered head. what they were. Yeah, and the good thing with those is um, they kind of they come and go. But this year they've been sticking around, and there's been a ton of them. A buddy of mine feeds birds all the time, and he's got eight boatloads of them. But they eat dandelion seed and nettle seed. They love it. It's oh. one of their two favorite foods. So if you ha- you see them and they're in the grass, that's what they're doing. They're trying to find those those seeds. So that's another like uh, eco way of weeding your yard, I guess. If, if <laughs> I leave my se- I leave my flower seeds heads that are interesting. And I leave them up, and the birds do hang off yeah. of them. I yeah. find it very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. It's like sunflower seeds. When you get to the end, again, you have to maybe clean up a bit of a mess. But when you get to the end there, and it's all like the fall and all the seeds, you'll see the chickadees, and then that hatch is hanging all over those things. That's right. And and they're great in the back alley if you run them along your fence line because yeah. when the shells fall, the shells don't allow anything else to grow there. Totally. And I see I see that by my place. Uh, there's about four yards that have them running along the back alley along their fence. It looks really nice. In the spring, and exactly, they don't have to rule the mess. No, because they it really is a great uh, deterrent. It's a natural deterrent, if you will. Yeah, for sure. So, Brad, if we're looking, again, like we've talked about feeding and all that, but if they're looking for a place to, to give them a place to live, I know there's all kinds of different houses, and you get all the real decorative ones, or you get ones. But what are some of the, like, even if you get a nice decorative one, what are the, some attributes to a birdhouse that are important like size of the hole or a clean yeah. out or the clean out is very important after end of every season 100 percent. but the size of the hole is for sure very very important because the smaller birds don't want to go in a hole that a bigger bird can come in like again back to magpies magpies um it's a small percentage of what they do eat but they will raid nests and they go after robin nests because they're easy to get into um, whereas like a chickadee nest is usually somewhere where a magpie couldn't get in so when you're thinking chickadees and nuthatches, um, wrens, uh, red poles, any of those smaller birds, uh, like you're looking at what they typically say is a one to one-eighth to one-and-a-half-inch hole. You don't want any bigger than that because then the bigger birds will go in there and just continually take the eggs out of there. Okay. You get in, like, woodpeckers, people <clears> like <throat> to try. Woodpeckers are a bit downy. Woodpeckers are the, like, cute little guys. People like to try and nest those. They're a little harder to nest. But you would do like a inch and a quarter or inch and a half for them, and they will go in the nest in there. And then it'll keep the bigger woodpeckers out, believe it or not, from the little woody downies. So it's harder to nest them for sure, but the right hole is absolutely the most important thing. I mean, I know we even have some of the ones that we get that local gentleman to do for us, Merle, yeah. and we have them out on display. Well, in about another couple months, I guess, yeah, it'll be April, I'll have to go around and stick styrofoam in all the holes because the wrens will absolutely fill them all nesting. I yeah. like wrens, though. They reward yep. you with the song at night, they and they do. can eat their weight. It's just hard to sell them when they're full of birds. Yeah. Right? I know. Yeah. It's or like we, we used to get them in the, the trees. <laughs> yeah, or we can charge extra, bird included. Yeah. yeah.
But what do yeah. you think of the birdhouses <laughs> with the little perches outside the hole? That's not a good idea either. Generally, no, because it's like a landing perch for bigger birds. That can That's right. Yeah. And the ladder. Some, some need it. Um, not necessarily need, that's not the right word, but some do like it. And if the hole is small enough, like if, you, if you're nesting chickadees or something, it's not too big of a deal. Um, sparrows, the same. Some people will nest for sparrows as well. Um, but ideally, no perch is best for sure. Okay. There's a question on the text line, and they want to know, I was thinking of adding dried mealworms to my low-waste birdseed mix. Is this a good idea? And if so, where do you get dried mealworms um yeah dry mealworms are good um we used to sell them we may get into them again it's um a lot of people aren't too familiar with them yet so they don't feed it but that dry mealworm <laughs> if you're going to do that i would feed them separate i wouldn't mix it with your other low-end mix because the dry mealworms attract a different type of bird and a different type of bird is going to scare your songbirds Okay. So if you can feed it another part of your yard and put mealworms in, robins, um, flickers, yes, uh, stuff like that. But again, a, typically a robin won't feed off a feeder, so you'd have to use a ground feeder. Okay. And what, yeah, and then well, basically a ground feeder just sits on the ground. It's mesh, so all the moisture can fall through and keep the seed or the mealworm on top. That's basically all, all okay. that is. Okay. And you can do that, but I wouldn't mix it with your other... Without, with any seed if you're trying to get the songbirds and whatnot. Okay, so the flicker should be fed separately out on the fence sort of thing. Some are meat eaters and some are... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but again, like I, at work here, we have some feeders set up and on the on the peanut feeder that I have or the nut feeder set up, like, God, there's not many mornings I don't go out there and the flicker's hanging off it. So Well, yeah, they, that and the, mag, and the blue jays. <laughs> yeah, and the blue jays, yeah, we got the blue jays floating around here. We have the odd stellar jay. And, oh, I like those guys. Yeah, they're beautiful, like deep, deep blue. Um, and I didn't, yeah, like I don't know if people know, but like ravens, crows, magpies, and jays, they're all from the same family, you oh. know? So they're all like, they all, like even if you hear a blue jay squawking in a tree, it's not, well, maybe personally to me, it's not my favorite sound. No, it isn't because like, they're nagging because the nuts yeah. are gone in the feeder. Yeah, and, that's, <laughs> and that, they will do that. If you feed and you, you can get, a routine with blue jays and that feeder's empty, they will let you know. Big yes, time. yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, Brad. Well, we got to we got to go. Our half hour or our time is up here. But th- thanks for calling in. And uh, anything you need, uh, Brad has a full supply of bird supplies and feed and stuff down at Spruce It Up. So go down and visit him. He's the guy in the bird costume and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the birds flying around his head. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Tell uh, Dwight the the, the the house looks awesome. Yeah, I will for sure. <laughs> thanks, okay, man. Take care. See you, Bye. Brad. Bye. All right. Thanks to Brad, uh, the bird man, for uh, calling in today. And uh, right now we're going to take a break for the news. You're listening to. Let's Talk Gardening on 770 CHQR. (laughs) Welcome back to Let's Talk Gardening. If you'd like to join us, the phone lines are wide open, 403-974-8255 or 1-800-563-7770. And uh, we got a few texts um, that came in, some pictures. Good morning. Do you recognize this houseplant? Can you tell me what it is and how to look after it? Right now it's in the east window. 
Um, I think the window is okay. Um, it looks fairly bright. But the blinds are shut. But yeah. maybe she did that for the picture. Picture. But try to, yeah, whenever possible on the east side. And on that one, what I would do is I wouldn't be afraid to cut it way back. Like cut it because it kind of got long and leggy on you. Probably could use a transplanting and cut it down to about, I don't know, a foot high. Um, get down to a couple main stems. Um and and you can start cuttings off the top ones if you want to add. Especially the woodier stalks. They'll grow quite easily in yeah. pots. Yeah, even on the top if you want to take top six, eight inches and stick them into soil. And what's the secondary pot in the background there? It could be one of the things that's happening. It looks like it's been overwatered a little bit. Yeah, it got some salt content and some things going on. It just got left really long and leggy. Um, so it just, again, just needs to be rejuvenated and like I said, all those nice green nodes you got on the top six, eight, twelve inches on that, just cut those off and and cut right below one of the nodes, and that thing will root up nice and quick. So you could add two or three of them to a, a pot, and you could create yourself a nice looking plant. Not that that's not nice looking; it's a, <laughs> just a little bit longer and leggy on you. So um, could be a little bit lack of light, and uh, but yeah. Just it needs to get rejuvenated. It just needs a little bit of rejuvenation and pruning and topping. Yeah, so um, give that a try as well, and uh, and see what what goes on. And what do we got here? It says, did you know that city bylaw states that bird feeders are only to be hung from trees? If you have a miserable neighbor, you can visit. You can have a visit from an officer if you're trying to hang feeders on a shepherd's hook. Now, that would be just plain nasty, I think. That would if, just be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would uh, I would phone my on my neighbor um, and... Uh, no, I don't think I'd report my bird feeder being in my tree. Some people, yeah, some people don't have a tree big enough or, or to, hang, enough. to hang one. Yeah. So, and here we go. We got Carolyn. She's texting in from Vernon. Last week, you recommended that I transplant my anthurium, and I bought... Soil pro mix, but I accidentally bought the one for organic vegetables and herbs. I'm wondering if it's okay to use that or should I go buy something else? No, that'll be totally fine. Um, that's a really good quality soil. Um, it's real close to the same mix. Um, so I would totally, it'd be, that's great for house plants as well. It's, it's, a, it's a really nice mix. So by all means, uh, go ahead and use that. And then you can say you have an organic anthurium. <laughs> there you go. So, all right, let's go to Donna. Good morning, Donna. Hi. I just was going to call in to talk about my birds. I do love magpies. Okay, nice. <laughs> I talk to them, and but they have to always have the last word. Oh, yeah. yes, they do. You well, can never have the last word ever. No, I and I, um, I have a more of appreciation after hearing the Ian Tyson song, so... And I have uh, the small birds. They let the magpies eat. They hide in the top of the tree in the bushes. Then when the magpies are finished and they're gone, then they eat. And I think that they're very majestic, beautiful bird, and they're very good parents. And I would hate to lose my magpies. <laughs> oh, no, they, they, they are a nice-looking bird, right? But they just sometimes they... They can be a little bit more innovative in their food sources. They love ripping up garbage and, and I doing ca- all. I call them the parrots of the northern hemisphere. But <laughs> I like their shiny feathers, and I don't think there's anything wrong with them. They're supposed to be quite intelligent as well. They're sort of part of that crow. They're blue very jay. small. They come and they yak at me, too, for food. 
Yes. <laughs> Come and get my food. I'm waiting. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how you can create a relationship with Mother Nature? Like certain things will, and you, sometimes you'll see those YouTube video or something on Facebook or on TV where a, a, that, the one guy, he raised the gorilla um, and then he was gone for five years and then he, he went down the river and then he's on the thing and then all of a sudden the gorilla comes out and they hug and his kids come up. It was just, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's interesting how, and even with birds and certain animals, you can create relationships with them um, in mother nature, like that trust factor kicks in. It's awesome. Yeah, I saw that about the girl. It was so nice. Yeah, it's very and, nice. Yeah, the birds are my babies out there, and they wait for me. And one day I was at the kitchen window, and I hadn't put their food out. And they were up in the tree, and they were getting anxious. So yeah. they come right up to my kitchen window and looking at me sideways as if, are you coming? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. They, like I said, they, but that's, you know, they, they, you've, you've created a relationship. And, uh, and it's something that, uh, that if you're going to start one, make sure you keep it up and, and that's awesome. So very glad to hear that, Donna. And I have no problem. I do not, they don't make a mess anywhere around my house, the magpies. Nope. I keep feeding them out on the old apple tree and they're not close to the house. They don't do any damage. I, uh, I don't need to clean up under my bird feeders because everything disappears. The that's good. Stuff, the pigeons come and eat. <laughs> well, you know, and a lot of it is 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 just the people um, don't dispose of their garbage properly, too, right? They end up yeah. going after, so things like that. So Yeah, All and right. I buy a huge bag of the wild bird seed. It's the no-name brand for yeah. $20, 18 kilos, and... Uh, <laughs> They seem to like it. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah, they'll eat all the stuff, but you do get a lot of waste from it. A lot of it is just filler. It's yeah. a lot of it's just that millet and some stuff that nothing really eats. It just ends up on the ground. So Mine all disappears. <laughs> well, awesome. If it's working, that's perfect. <laughs> and uh, I grow sunflowers for the birds from the bird seed, and they come up all over where the birds drop them half yeah. the time. Isn't that nice? I love uh, sunflowers. Love yeah. yeah. And I leave them for them. I, I just leave them till they eat all the sunflowers, and then they love it, too. Cool. And then the bees, uh, the bees love my comfrey plant. They just love that plant. They're loaded with bees. They are a nice-looking plant, and they have pretty purple flowers. And I have so many other perennials, but they, they love all my flowers. But the, they're just loaded on the comfrey plant. They like the bell-shaped flower, the blue. They it's do. very pretty. Yeah, yes. purplish. Yeah, they yeah. love it. Awesome. And it's a nice-looking plant, so I just let it stay there for the birds, and I transplanted some just for the birds. <laughs> or the bees, I meant. Sorry, for the bees. Nice. Well, Donna, I'm sorry, but we got to take a yep. break here. So, But thank you so much for sharing your stories, and they were awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. We got to take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening on 770-CHQR. Welcome back to Let's Talk Gardening, and uh, we did have a question if we sell birdhouses at, uh, at Spruce It Up. Yes, we do. We have quite a good selection of birdhouses. Um, a lot of them are locally made. Um, we have Victor on just the east side of Calgary there. He makes us all kinds of birdhouses, him and his partner. And, uh, yeah, so we have, again, we are honestly trying to source anything local I can find in Western Canada for the most part, wherever possible. Um, obviously just trying to, uh, sustain our economy and wherever you can. And when you can find some local guys to do some things, it's, uh, 
it makes it more fun as well. Again, creating good relationships and it's uh, it's important. Let's go to Judy. She's down in Lethbridge. Good morning, Judy. Good morning. How can we help you? I wanted to share a story that this winter I have a chickadee that comes to my hand and feeds. Oh, nice. Yeah, very nice. It's a kick. Crushed or a piece, small pieces of walnuts is what he prefers or he or she. <laughs> and I can call it. He comes to, I go out in the deck and call him. What do you, what do you, can you show, tell us what you... Well, he's called Chicky now, so... <laughs> oh, so you go out there and go, Chicky, Chicky. Chicka dee 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 come Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, it is nice. It's very nice. And there's, he has a partner, but the other one won't ever get, be doesn't, brave enough to Doesn't quite to trust head. you yet, eh? But every time I go out in the deck now, I can call him and feed him. Isn't that cool? It is very cool. Yeah. I thought I'd share that in case anybody wants to try it. I know Fun. I've seen that down like at, in Calgary. We have the Inglewood Bird Sanctuary, and I've seen some pictures of uh, of of that as well. And it, it's interesting to to see that. So, well, it happened when they didn't have enough food. The, the feeder was empty, and they're fluttering around. So I just did tried that and stood so very still, and pretty soon. I thought that's what you need to be hungry to get this started. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for calling. Well, thank you. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, so get out there and uh, and try some of those. You see those in, I've seen people at the Inglewood Bear in your backyard. and Yeah, I've seen lots of pictures of it, but I've never been able to get a good, chickadee to come. Good way to kill a few hours, eh, if you're out there holding, yeah. <laughs> holding some birdseed in your in your hand. And What uh, did you do today? I stood on my back deck. <laughs> and, oh, there we go. And we got uh, also a text. Good morning. Took a photo from my mom's home. She's still, oh, she's still in her in her house coat. Nice. Uh, Joni loves her birds, and this is Sandy from Airdrie. Look at that woodpecker. He's just hanging upside down and uh, trying to get into that bird feeder. He's trying everything he can to get in there because it's a. Uh, He's too big to get at the, it's down in the lower hole, so he's too big to to reach down, so he's hanging from the bottom. What a great picture. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that. That's very, very nice. Let's go. We have a few minutes here before our next break. Let's go to Wayne. Good morning, Wayne. Morning, Merle. How you doing today? Oh, not bad. How's yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, you, you, you know what goes good with coronavirus? <laughs> oh no, Lyme disease. Oh, oh. nice. <laughs> There's a dynamic duo, eh? Yeah, but everybody knows about it since it's been viral. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I haven't heard that one, the Lyme disease one, though. But that I like that one. That one's good. Uh, um, actually, in in Fort McMurray, uh, they call magpies up there. Uh, Holstein pheasants. Holstein pheasants. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, I was just going to mention that with suet, when you feed suet and yep. warmer, um, be careful because the little birds, it actually sticks their beaks together. I've had to actually pick them up off the ground and wipe their beak off and sit, put them back in the tree. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it, was, it was kind of a sad thing, but uh, the bird... They've been okay since I wiped them off, but just real sticky, or it gets sticky and they and sticks them together. Like some of them have peanut butter in it and other things that uh, they put in the suet. Yeah. So, and I think you got to watch. I guess because sometimes I see some of these things. And I don't want to talk bad about the dollars or or something. I'm not saying that's where you got. But sometimes you see some of these products come in, and you don't know how do they sell them so cheap, right? Like it's got to be. And I read something like they caught a Vietnamese company making coffee from from old 
it was some scrap metal or I don't know what it was. But I just think, how are they doing this stuff, right? Like they have old fertilizer or something. They're making coffee. Oh my God. Like, so sometimes you, I think we do got to watch. Um, obviously, we have the Wild Bird Store in Calgary, places like Spruce It Up. We do try to, and all our stuff is sourced locally. Um, so, again, trying to find stuff that isn't um, necessarily always from overseas and not always the the cheapest thing. So trying to ensure that we don't end up gluing our heads, our birds' beaks together, <laughs> things like that, right? Like it's... Yeah, it's it's just that, that uh, you hate to see any bird oh. suffering like that. Well, again, you're trying to do something good, right, Wayne? Like, again, the, bird, the birds are <laughs> trusting us. Um, to feed them like that, and 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 then you end up hurting them. It's just like some people when they throw, they try and poison dogs, right? They throw a meat or something, and then they poison a dog. Like the dogs trusting you that that meat is good, and the same with the birds. Like they they're hoping that we there's a trust factor, right? And and in that case, just go talk to the people, and maybe they can keep their dog in. Absolutely. Like, there's other solutions than than some of the things, and, and that's absolutely, totally agree. And and most people, I know how I feel if my dog's out there barking, I feel worse than them. I'm trying to run out there and, and get your dogs inside or whatever, right? Like, it's just like your dog just barks at the, when you're on the phone or something like that, right? Like, it's it's uh, that's when they love to, to speak. Well, we have a dog neighborhood, and they start barking at one end of the street. It works all the way down. When <laughs> yeah, we got the same thing. We have uh, we have Buddy across the street from us, and then I have my three little guys. And uh, sometimes they all get going, then the coyotes get going, and then it's uh, a free for all. <laughs> thanks, Merle. I uh, won't keep you. Awesome. Thanks, Wayne. I always appreciate your calls. Bye bye. Thanks, bud. Bye bye. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening on 770 CHQR. Welcome back to Let's Talk Gardening. I'm Merle Coombs, and I'm here with Cass Mythe. And Cass is from the Cowrie Hort Society, as well as other places. <laughs> um, but we always like to try to fill in everybody what's going on down at the Hort Society, because you guys are obviously alive all the time, but you definitely come to life a little bit more as we head into spring. We're certainly getting busier. <laughs> yeah, so what, uh, what do you got going on down there? Well, we have some courses and we are promoting a little bit of that, but we also are prepping for the garden show and we still have room for about 10 more exhibitors. So call in and have a chat with Nisha. And then the other thing that I wanted to talk about, just because we've been doing it in the past in partnership with the city of Calgary, we do a a course called Create Your Own Design and Design Your Yard is part of it. And the very first set is kicking off at the... Mayland Heights area and it's the first one is on February 26th and we will probably have at least we open it up to 12 places or 15 depending on the size of the room and if you're a couple you can come two for one and you get to do a three-part on taking you through the step-by-step tasks of getting a yard plan in place and we have another one that's coming up is um the food gardening class, and that's going to be four Wednesdays in March, and you get to listen to me for four whole weeks. <laughs> and, how much roll not, your and, eyes. and how much do you get paid for that? No. <laughs> oh, you don't pay us to do. No. Oh. And if you, for more information, <laughs> calhort.org, and it's it should have all sorts of information in there. 
Oh, and we are at the Home and Garden Show this year. So, oh, nice. Yeah. So there's actually going to be some garden stuff there. Yes, there actually is. We Good. <laughs> a garden portion? Yes. Nice. nice. Yes. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're broadcasting this year. When is it? It's coming up in February? It's the end of February. Yeah, I haven't heard anything yet this year. Usually we typically would broadcast from the Home and Garden Show. I'm not too sure if we are this year or not. I'll have to find out and because uh, I don't want to come here if I'm supposed to be down there. Yeah, you could be lost. There you go. Um <laughs> And again, lots of, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, good talkers are down there. They have the, we've got, Brian we've, is typically there. And, yeah. um, and we've got some new speakers coming. So we're just finalizing that list and that should come up in the next week or so on the website. Yeah. And but workshops. Are you guys doing any talks at the Home and Garden Show? Yes, I am doing a talk on Saturday evening and... Hopefully, I won't fall apart. Is that is that uh, are they still doing it in the Boyce Theater or is no, it on the main stage? Everybody's on the on the main stage in the I can't remember the name of the building. Okay, but yeah, we're building in that, B or yeah, C, building or yeah. B or C somewhere back there, and it's nice and open so that you can. Yeah, if talk you're doing to any kind of renovations and things like that, the Home and Garden Show is always a good thing to to wander around. Yes. There's always good ideas, and uh, and I will do a short Q and A at the end of my talk. So if you want to come and have a chat, oh nice, yeah. Um, and we got a few texts here, and is that it? That's going on at the Horse well, Society. Well, there's a lot more. I mean, let me go. Got, let me cover one more thing. Well, we've got growing tomatoes and peppers, and that's on the seventh of March. And we have spring tree and shrub care on the 7th at the same time. And we have a propagation workshop coming up on the 14th of March, which should be really interesting. Cool. So what uh, and how long are these courses usually? Are these one-day courses? They're or? just one day. Usually it's a morning or an afternoon. It just depends. The longest are three hours when they're just a half a day. Okay. Well, that's so. It's a good afternoon, though. And and typically, where where are all these courses being done, Kath? Well, you know, we've been moving them around a little. Okay. <laughs> so they're at some of the community centers, and we do still have some. The, for instance, though, the propagation workshop and the seed starting are at Garden Retreat over in the southwest. Yeah. And we wherever we can go, we can try to do it. And we're using a community hall um, at uh, to do the vegetable class. So... Awesome. All right. So if you need any of that, obviously you can go to calhort.org and uh, find out all the information. And I know the seeds, it's nice to see them all set up. And we got our one little grow dome going and we got uh, lots of the seeds going. Loving the new Pacific Northwest seeds we got. Um, great selection. Um, look fabulous. And, uh, and like I said, a little nicer price point. So happy about that. If on the to save a little uh, money and it's and it's a uh, it's it's good great quality seeds again western canadian and uh, we have the west coast seeds as well and also we have the wild rose heritage seeds as well so we're we uh we got you covered on the western canadian seeds and uh which is which is uh, important for us because again trying to source locally and, and, and using ones that, canadian yeah well, it's it's expensive buying stuff out of the states. Like everything around the world, um, if it if it touches any portion, like even out of China or Europe or Holland and stuff like that, when we're buying some of our spring stuff, there's a lot of Dutch companies. Everything revolves around the U.S. dollar. I know everyone, no one likes to admit that, but everything 
Um, I was out in Turkey a few years ago looking for stone. We were importing some stone. And up in the hills in Turkey, thinking I'm going to buy for Lira, the guy doesn't speak English, but he sure knows how to speak U.S. dollars. So <laughs> we're saying that. But that's, honestly, it, it is a world currency. And as Canada, when we're at a minus 35% a deficit, it's hard on a lot of uh, the independent business guys who have to Buying work hard. US dollars. We're trying to find those things that... Uh, that work and then we can provide you um, some of the stuff at a fair trade and fair cost and it, it isn't easy but we definitely we're working hard at it and I think we've done quite a good job um, and all your bedding plants and vegetable yep. plants all come Alberta. local yep. all Alberta yep we do get a little bit of stuff out of BC um, we work with a couple of guys that we've been working with for a long time out of BC as well a lot of nursery stock comes out of western Canada again I don't bring any out of the states I know um, some of the other guys there is some stuff out of there but it, they've changed a lot and the whole nursery industry is changing and uh, it's evolving absolutely which is a good thing it's part of our resiliency plan absolutely well and we're going to be resilient because we are out of time and till next week uh thanks for joining us here on let's talk gardening on 770 chqr